I was cutting off the hocks and I was just like, these are stunning. The marbling and the texture and the color was just, you know, it gets you excited to use and cook with those products because it looks so good. The Crackling is the latest podcast from Deep in the Weeds, where we take you behind the scenes into the kitchens of Australia's best chefs. If you do the kind of double cook with the spiking, it's crunchy, but like a honeycomb almost, like a, like, like glass, yeah. <laughs> and onto the farms of our nation's best producers. Somebody came along and said, well, there's this opportunity back in Victoria and it was pig farming. That's sort of how we got into it. And it's been fantastic. The stories, the passion, the produce. It was a real life-changing moment for me to, to see, you know, the respect of an animal that is so deep and such a part of a culture. The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. Listen and subscribe to The Crackling now on your favourite podcast app. I think the impact's going to be huge. There's times where I feel really positive and then other times when I see my friends who own restaurants and are trying to look after their staff and they're really struggling. That's just so depressing and I guess with this next stage of lockdown, I, I don't know what the future is. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The pandemic has allowed some in the industry time to consider new projects, to think about things differently and head down a path that in normal circumstances, most wouldn't have time for. What if the new path allows for a better world and a chance to change perceptions of many? Joe Barrett is an award-winning chef and co-executive chef of Oak Ridge in the Yarra Valley. Joe, how are you going? G'day, how are you going? I'm good. What's it like in um, Melbourne at the moment? It's um, pretty strict um, stage four regulations. How, how are you feeling about what's going on? Uh, it's pretty quiet down here at the moment, um, especially after eight o'clock. There's no cars on the road, so uh, getting to sleep has been pretty good. Um, but I mean, it's a little bit grim, but at the same time, I think I'm a pretty positive person and um, we'll get through all of this. Um, yeah, so we're not at the restaurant at the moment, which has been pretty sad. Um, but other than that, I think there's a pretty good understanding from most of the people down here to know that it's probably necessary to do this to get through it and the quicker we do it, the quicker we can get on with life. You've been busy doing all sorts of projects during this time while the restaurant has been closed and one of those was you turned your hand to um, have a go. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, I guess I had been planning to write a cookbook for quite some time and uh, my friend Jana Longhorst, she's a photographer. I'd been speaking with her about shooting the cookbook and I guess we just never had time with the like Oak Ridge being pretty busy and Jana being pretty busy. We just could never find time to actually nut out getting it done. And then due to the restaurant shutting, we thought it would be a pretty good opportunity to use up the time to get the book done. And then it came to actually planning the shoot and it felt really forced and uh, just, I don't know, a bit of a reflection of why was I actually writing a book? Was it for me or was it for people to actually learn how to cook? And then Yana had an idea of what about just doing a little magazine 
and then it was just going to be something arty but it kind of snowballed into well we could put a recipe in there and actually teach people how to cook some of these uh, more artisan styles of cooking so I had been getting heaps of questions over the internet and Instagram about making cheese and milling grain and charcuterie and it kind of seemed quite fitting to use those recipes in the magazine. So a week later, after deciding to scrap the cookbook, we'd already shot our first issue. Wow, that's extraordinary. Yeah, six weeks later, uh, we had started a company, shot a few more um, issues and then released the Have A Go series, which is a now a magazine that we release every six weeks and each um, issue covers a topic. So the first one's been cheese and feta and the next one that's about to come out is um, sourdough bread baking, which is pretty fitting for COVID. And then we're going to go on and <laughs> cover things like charcuterie and sausage making, pickling and fermenting. It's just really basic information, but Jana's incredible with her food photography. So she captures the change in um, texture and what your your recipe should be looking like as you're cooking along. Well, you say it's just basic information, but perhaps it might be for you, but for Joe Punter like myself, it's probably a, a real lesson. Um, but these are all things that you were doing in the restaurant in Oak Ridge and particularly cheese in the last couple of years for you is been a real focus what, what's been some of the challenges in making your own cheese yeah definitely has been a journey the whole cheese making um before oak ridge i had been really interested in making cheese but was unsure about how to get into the industry or even how to make cheese really and in australia there's quite a there's not much information well back then wasn't much information about that you had to travel overseas to go to a cheese making school or do some courses I feel like it's definitely progressed now um, but at Oak Ridge we were really lucky Colin Wood uh, who is also a chef he's over in WA at the moment and we had Jack Holman from Yarra Valley Cheese uh, from Yarra Valley Dairy um, around us to show us some of the basics and to troubleshoot and from there it kind of grew into this whole dairy program at Oak Ridge and I think being able to have that experience and then um, I guess now making cheese at home I can put into practice some of those um, skills that I've picked up because making cheese at home and in a restaurant is pretty different. What's What's been some of the successes and, and highlights of making cheese as you've sort of gone on that journey in the last couple of years? Um, I think some of the biggest successes have been, I guess there's two ways of that. I've produced some cheeses which I never imagined I would be producing. You know, like um, we made some blue cheese and some of the firmer style cheeses and I never in a million years thought that I would be able to do that. And then I guess the other side of it is now everyone in our kitchen knows how to make basic cheeses and before that none of us could at all and then the I guess the ripple effect within um, our local community there was a situation where we get our milk from Little Yarra Dairy which is an incredible micro dairy and launching place and we started um, just getting milk from Tyrone the dairy farmer once a week and just for cheese making and then uh, after 
working with him over like a number of years, we were able to start supplying the whole restaurant for coffees and everything that we were making using his milk. And then Jack, uh, the other cheesemaker in the Yarra Valley, was also using his milk and went on holidays. And Tyrone had an extra 100 litres of milk that he didn't know what to do with. And um, instead of just pouring it down the drain or trying to find people to take it, we were actually able to take all of his milk and um, use it in other ways and start making more cheeses and experiment and able to support our local community in a in you know that we had a restaurant to be able to do that which is pretty special I know Oak Ridge is shut at the moment but can you tell us a bit about the restaurant and sort of and what you guys do there I know you grow a lot of the things that you use and you also connect with a lot of local um, producers as well but there's, it's you guys are really hands-on and, and almost looking back to sort of um, olden day sort of techniques as well. Yeah, I think I like to think of what we do at Oak Ridge is just create um, a Yarra Valley cuisine or really hone in on our local area. And I guess what you say about that old um, style of cooking is that's what you would do. You would just cook from your region because – that's what was around you. You couldn't import food or um, get, you know, um, ingredients from the other side of Australia. So you would actually just be cooking from your region and then you have to implement some of those uh, primitive techniques of fermenting or uh, pickling and preserving the seasons that you're in. And I guess because of Matt and I, our ethos about trying to reduce waste and working within uh, our region and season, we just, uh, like those techniques work hand in hand. So we might plant in our vegetable garden, which we rely really heavily on with our changing of the seasons and our menu development. So you might get a whole patch of mountain corn and then you have to go and figure out what to do with mountain corn. So you dry it, you mill it, then you learn how to nixamalize and then you make tortillas. So it's probably um, what we do is produce-driven cooking, but it's from the necessity of we only use from what is around us. And I feel like that's probably what is missing a little bit in the food industry and maybe some of what has, you know, seen uh, with COVID and all the lockdowns is is that, like a bit of a resurgent into your local food and your local area and I mean, we've all been affected by COVID, but when that first round of um, restrictions started to fall in place with 20 seats uh, or 20 people coming into your restaurant, we were able to purely use food from our garden. Um, And it was a really weird time of kind of going, wow, what we're doing works if you're, you know, on a smaller scale and you're just using food from your garden and using what's around you you can you can like live like that and run a restaurant like that <laughs> what's this period of time been like for you with the restaurant shut is it what's what have you been missing about the restaurant uh i guess i, mean, I live in a city in melbourne so i live in northcote and commuting every day especially this second or like the stage four restrictions where you're limited to the time that you spend outside i've probably really started to feel um how much being in a regional area 
has an effect on your body and your mind. Kind of, I think maybe I took that for granted before that we got to spend our days in the country, you know, pulling up veggies and cooking and milling grain and visiting producers. And I didn't realize that effect that it had like physically. Uh, I really miss working with my team, although we speak every day pretty much. I do miss the energy that they bring with the questions and things that they want to do and how that inspires Matt and I to, you know, push harder and come up with new ideas and keep people interested. um, So that's probably, I miss cooking for people, of course, but I definitely miss the environment of Oak Ridge. I know you've uh, released the magazine, but, um, and speaking to Matt, he's taken up some work as butchery in this time until the restaurant um, opens. What what have you been doing during this time um, to keep money coming in? Um, so, yeah, we released the magazine and then a friend of mine, um, Christine Tran, who I worked with at Tivoli Road Bakery as a baker, she travelled the world and worked at Tartine and different bakeries um, in Europe and then has come back and she's part owner at Falco Bakery. And um, I have been doing a couple of shifts there baking, which I never thought I'd kind of go back to the bakery but um, I guess for me as long as I'm still learning I'm pretty content Uh, I think if I wasn't learning something this would affect me a little bit more than it has but uh, as long as I keep progressing in that way I'm pretty happy (laughs) you do have that really strong background of the of pastry um, cooking what's some of the secrets to really good pastry I guess like all cooking, it does come down to ingredients. So flour isn't just a kind of a bag on the shelf at the supermarket. It's a grain and it grows and it's in the soil and it's sucking up nutrients and how that has been treated and milled is has an effect on your, I guess, what you're baking. So um, I think it's the same. It's ingredients, good eggs, you know, nice sugar, definitely your environment if you're baking bread um it's pretty similar to cooking really I guess I went to bake to make my savory cooking better and what I learned out of the reactions when you add water and you add salt has had a massive effect on how I bake uh, or how I cook do you know actually today marks my fifth anniversary of being at Oak Ridge I started at Oak Ridge five years ago today wow well, I can't say that we timed this deliberately, but um, that's amazing. Yeah, kind of bittersweet. I would have loved to have been there, but um, I'm pretty proud of the achievement of being somewhere for five years. Well, let's have a look at your career. How did you get into the industry? Um, I always wanted to be a chef. Um, my grandmother was a chef and my nan was a baker, which is pretty funny. <laughs> and that's all I really wanted to do. So when I was at high school, I actually asked my parents if I could drop out of school and start my apprenticeship Um, and I had been washing dishes at a little cafe on school holidays when I was 15 and yeah just loved anything about food and then I was I stayed at school because I did my work experience at a restaurant who said they'd take me on if I finished my year 12 and I loved school in the end it was unreal and then I went into my apprenticeship a week after finishing school and then that was at a place called Delacy's in the city in Melbourne. Uh, I had been there for 22 years and then 
I started and then after a year of my apprenticeship, they decided to shut the restaurant. Um, but I was really fortunate. I had applied for a scholarship and I was successful and I went to Canada and finished my cooking school and cookery in Canada and I worked at a French bistro. And then I guess it's not just like cooking that I love. I love the whole of hospitality. So I came back and I wanted to learn about wine and front of house. So started working, supervising out the front of a restaurant and bartending, learning about wine service. And um, at that point, I'd finished my apprenticeship and then applied for a job at Movida. And I got denied quite a few times until I went in and took my resume and I said, please hire me and realized that all the guys in there were all about six foot five and I was like probably five foot (laughs) and I was really lucky. I got uh, a chance to do a stage and then I got a job there and then I traveled a bit. I worked in New Zealand, uh, in Brazil and just did a few random jobs before I came back and they opened uh, Movida Bakery and I had decided that I wanted to learn about, um, I guess, bread baking and pastry and if I wanted to be a solid head chef, I had to know every section of the kitchen. So then when people would come to me with questions, I'd be able to answer them. I guess I'm still in that little bit of that area about learning bread and pastry but um, wanting to move on to charcuterie and butchery um, so before I started at Oak Ridge, I had applied to be a butcher. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I just, I like cooking and I like all the aspects of cooking and hospitality and the fact that there's always something to learn and it's kind of driven by history. You've been involved in a few projects with uh, Matt Stone, who's your, your partner and your co-executive head chef at Oak Ridge. And I'm sure you've been asked this before, but what's the challenges in working with someone that you um, also live with? Um, I guess it's that we always take work home. So I guess um, that's probably one of the nicer things that have come out of COVID, although it's not nice, but uh, just having a bit of time to work at separate places. It's um, different working apart. But there has been moments which have been really hard. It's been awesome as well. Like you're able to achieve twice as much work. Um, You know, someone always has your back, especially because you've got the common goal of what you'd like to achieve. And we have really similar ethos, um, which makes things easier because you always know what the other person's thinking. But I mean, like anything, if you spend 24-7 with someone, there's times where you do get a bit sick of them. (laughs) Not that I get sick of Matt. I mean, he's um, an incredible person and an incredible chef, um, but it has been nice just to do a few different things for a little while. Well, speaking of um, being with someone 24-7, you're embarking on a pretty extraordinary <laughs> project at the moment, um, the greenhouse. Can you tell us about that? It sounds extraordinary. Yeah, the greenhouse, I guess, is another thing that is a bit of a light of at the end of the tunnel and while this whole lockdown has been not has as hard um but for the last three years um matt yost backer and i have been um working on a project called the greenhouse which is a house that grows its all own food and produces all its own energy but uh yost has been working on this 
for the last 10 years. So it kind of started with the greenhouse restaurants, which Matt was, um, he was looking after and then kind of evolved into silo and then brothel. So I was really lucky. I got to work at brothel uh, restaurant in Melbourne for a while. And then now it has kind of come to what Yoast had always envisioned, which was uh, this house that shows people how you can live in your environment, producing food, producing power and the importance of nutrition in food. And I guess, I I mean, I've learnt a lot about uh, farming, especially after growing our own food at Oak Ridge, but I guess the thoughts start popping into your mind about what is true, truly sustainable farming and uh, even if it's organic or biodynamic, questioning could should you be planting food on the same patch of land over and over and over again um so i guess it's questioning that a little bit um because we never really had 60,000 years ago potentially we didn't have large plots of the one thing it was always um you know micro environments lots of bacteria lots of different species growing together and the house is a bit of a representation of that. So returning to food that isn't processed, that hasn't been modernized, but grown in a way that is achievable. I think it would be easy to not work, grow all your own food um, and live like that. But that's not how the majority of people live. We work. We're in a modern society so it's about being smart and getting food to grow in a way that suits what, how we live now. Um, so the idea is that there'll be 120 to 170 species of different plants and that Matt and I will live in the house that is in Federation Square in Melbourne and we're going to show that you can live in a house that produces no waste, that's made out of, um, I guess, waste-conscious materials so um, like the walls are made out of hay and um, you know hay is one of the most wasted products imaginable in the world it just gets thrown out but we could be using it for walls that also are fireproof (laughs) especially in Australia that's a pretty big deal Um, you know the gas from the stove comes from the toilet (laughs) and um yeah, there's just it's a whole new way of envisioning how to live, and I think it's affordable, and especially for first home buyers, it's something that you know that's how we could get our first home. It's also leaning on the voyeurism of of our society. Will people be able to see you and Matt sitting on the lounge eating and watching television or chilling out? Yeah, that's a bit weird. That part of it. Um, but I guess how else are you meant to – you've got to make a bit of an impact to get a bit of attention, I guess. Um, and we want to show what it's like and that everyone can do it. You don't have to spend a heap of money, but you could grow a wicking bed, which is um, a grow bed for $20. You could build your own one rather than spending, I don't know, 200 to $500 on a, a – like a plot from Bunnings, you could actually build your own for less and then grow enough potatoes to feed your whole family. It's kind of what you're saying about um, 
going back to olden day foods, Yost was telling us, and I remember this book as well, a book came out about how to feed your family in a, I think it was like a four by four meter or six by six meter veggie patch throughout a year. So you rotate through the seasons. It's kind of the same concept, but in a house. (laughs) So we'll have um, aquaponics systems as well, which have fish and uh, edible plants in the water. That will be our swimming pool. And then we'll be having protein um, that is a little bit different. So crickets and mealworms, and then we'll have two chickens for eggs. And I guess the thing that I'll miss the most is we're not going to have any milk. Yeah, I guess. Well, you you couldn't really share that space with a with a cow or two. I'm tempted to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess importantly as well, you're actually going to be working in the Yarra Valley at the same time and managing that. What's that process? What's that going to be like? Um, I guess it's just about managing time. So uh, last year I did the World Championship of Pastry and at the same time I was, you know, looking after Oak Ridge and writing for different magazines and had a heap of crap that was due and I really didn't know how I was going to compete in this competition where I had to build a centerpiece and come up with a dessert and travel internationally. And I learned a lot about time management and organization. And I guess that's what has come out of it. I think being able to run the restaurant and live in this house, it'll just be about being organized. How are you feeling about the restaurant industry at the moment? You're in a pretty extreme lockdown in Melbourne right now. Do you think, what do you think the impact is going to be of what's going on at the moment? Uh, I think the impact's going to be huge. Uh, I feel there's times where I feel really positive and then other times when I see my friends who own restaurants and are trying to look after their staff and they're really struggling, like, that's just so depressing. And I guess with this next stage of lockdowns, I, I don't know what the future is. I think I've been always positive and you know, you, I look up to Sydney and see that people are going to restaurants and, but then around the world, you know, restaurants in America are shutting yesterday. And, um, I think there's going to be a change. I see it in two ways. I think a lot of my chef friends who were kind of really pushing it, their whole lives were in the media and, um, you know, involved in their restaurants. That's their identity they're kind of going, I don't know if I want to go back to cooking like that and, you know, giving so much of my life to everything, you know, always being on, on call. Uh, but at the same time, it's what's, what's paying people's rents and, um, keeping an economy and tourism going. So I don't know, in one way, I think it's going to create a change that could be really good for livelihood in you know in the aspect of having a life but at the same time if there's no restaurant at all we're not going to have a life so I think it's just a matter of change but I don't know at the moment what the change will be. What about for you has has this experience changed you and do you think you'll see your role in Oak Ridge uh, being a little different after these circumstances? Um, That's a hard question I think I'll just be more focused on the importance of where food comes from, which was already a really 
big thing, but uh, I think local food will become even more of a focus and supporting your local community. Um, I think that's what comes out of COVID is how people support each other. So I think that will come to the forefront. I think making sure people feel safe. Um, I think chefs' roles were always more than just cooking. So my role at Oak Ridge has always been more than just cooking and I think it will continue like that. You kind of play counsellor, you play food writer, play, you know, TV presenter. So I think there'll be more of that, um, but it's probably up to me about balancing it and choosing things that I want to do and what I think has value in the end, um, you know, for, for consumers or from guests that they actually get value and that um, in return, you know, suppliers and people are all looked after as well who are producing the food. Is, um, I'm interested in uh, some of Matt's bad habits that we may see in the greenhouse. <laughs> Is there anything people should be aware of? Um. <laughs> um, he's pretty good, to be honest. There's probably habits that, I don't know, Matt grinds his teeth when he sleeps, but I don't know how anyone else is going to know that unless they hop into bed with him. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I guess if they see me sleeping on the couch, it's not because we've had a fire, it's because he grinds his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, Joe, it's always awesome to catch up and you're a bloody inspiration. Uh, you know, the, the the magazine and now this project is just extraordinary. Um, you know, putting putting your own sort of um, existence and self on the line to sort of, you know, make a real statement about how the world should be. Um, you're a bloody legend. Thanks for catching up with us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I think everyone will, will get through this Um it is really sad. There's some really sad things happening, um, but I feel like if we all work together, we will get through it for sure. Absolutely. Talk mm. soon. All righty. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.